0: welcome back to another episode of black tides an organization dedicated to amplifying the voices of black professionals in tech informatics data science epidemiology and the social sciences i'm your host odane dunbar an informatics analyst who is passionate about using data for social good on this episode of black tides we have a very special guest uh is here with us he's also a member of the Black uh, in-Data organization. Um, I'm gonna start off by having him introduce himself and then we're gonna jump into some uh, questions relating to tech and the state of it all, what's going on in the world and you know, is technology helping or hurting? So without further ado, Jaquil, go ahead and uh, introduce yourself.
1: Uh, thank you, Odin. So uh, my name's Jaquil Henry. Um, I currently work as a data scientist at Verizon, uh, working, supporting our internal audit department uh, with a myriad of different analytics there. Uh, Just to give you a quick uh, snapshot, my data career kind of started back at GEICO. Um, I started off as a customer service person and then kind of worked my way up into analytics as a statistical analyst and then through just a myriad of different roles that resulted in me being a senior business analyst before I transitioned into Verizon. So uh, that's just a tidbit about me.
0: You mentioned that um, you started from, an, I wouldn't say a non-technical, but you started from a non-traditional route. Um, not, not not, a lot of people would associate data science with GEICO. What advice would you have to give, especially with it being May? there's a lot of recent grads, uh, what advice would you have to give someone who's who wants to be in a position similar to where you are now?
1: Uh, first thing I would say, Odane, is you you have to go and identify a mentor. Um, so, I mean, I know we're going to be talking about more about what I do on the mentor level later in the show, but um, I was able, to, I was actually lucky to, one of the managers at Geico really took a chance on me. You know, I I was able to, exercise that I really wanted to work in data science and analytics. And it was always a passion of mine, right? Like I was always doing some type of mathematics or some type of computer science. That's what I was studying at the time. So um, I was lucky he took that shot on me. But if you have a mentor that can kind of plug you into the pathway of understanding, like, what is a data scientist? What is a data analyst? Uh, What tools can you use to learn more? about the different languages that you'll leverage and the tools that you'll leverage. Um, That's going to be a big kicker to getting you started in your data career. So my first step would be to identify that mentor.
0: Yeah. And I think it's also important to take the time out to sort of like you know, just let it be known that a mentor comes in many different shapes and sizes. And the reason why I said that is because like you mentioned, your your um, your manager was the one who helped sort of like, you know, usher you into your data science role. And a lot of times when people think of mentor, they think of maybe someone on LinkedIn or whatever the case is, but your mentor can legit be your boss. Like Absolutely. I know um, currently you're like right now, um, you know, I work in health informatics, but I have a very innovative uh, leader in the sense where he's always trying to be on a cutting edge of something. And with that being said, even though I wasn't hired on as a data scientist or a data engineer, because of the sort of function and support that we need, I see myself being pushed into that direction through his mentorship and through his um, leadership. And so I think um, sometimes people just have to. And one thing that I've learned about that, especially being in my current role is people have to be flexible uh, because the opportunity will always be there. But if you're not willing to, you know, go out, step out of your comfort zone, you you know, sometimes you leave a lot of opportunities um, hanging. Um, So I would say definitely realize that mentors are everywhere. It could be your neighbor who does data, but you didn't know. Cause you never said hi, you know, in the morning, whatever the case is.
1: Right. Yeah. I was going to say, and I, and I also want to piggyback off of that. Uh, one thing I want, you know, new grads to understand is that your data mentor may not be technical and that's fine. You know, you may run across a product manager who you know can point you in the right direction to get connected with some data folks. Uh, To kind of get a better understanding or they may have, you know, they're doing a lot of A-B testing, so they touch the metrics, but they don't really know exactly what they're doing. But that's that, you know, that first starter to to, to kind of say, okay, hey, you know, I know that, you know, I'm touching Excel or I'm touching Tableau Uh, in this space. I can introduce you to it. And then here's the individual that can take you further into it. So um, I I like to say that because the manager that actually recommended me for the statistical Analytics job was he was not technical. Uh, He was a guy that, you know, I would show him things in Excel and how to make graphs. And I mean, not in the least bit, but because he took that chance, you know, I am where I am today.
0: Yeah, I think um, you make a lot of good points. One thing that I thought about when while you were uh, talking is, um, what sort of like as a as a mentor, what sort of like criteria do you set um, for a potential mentee? Like, I'm I'm sure you know your time is valuable, and a lot of people need mentorship. So, how do you sort of like decide who to who who to take under your wings?
1: Yeah, no, that's a great question, and and that's where I've actually taken a little bit of a step outside of the box, Odean, is that um, I'm a one, uh, everyone come, you know, one size fits all. I don't care where you are in your data career. I'm going to give you at least that introduction and a shot to kind of understand like where you're trying to go. Um, I like to get folks that, you know, have a little bit of an understanding of what their career path or what they want to do with data. Um, and then I can try to fill in the gaps for you. So, um, I mean, my mentees will tell you today, I have people that are still in college i have individuals that recently graduated um i have individuals that have you know years of experience in tech and they're just trying to transfer over um i i have no bias or or uh, any type of differentiation there i mean if you want to come and i just ask that you have an open mind and that you're curious about your next step and that you're willing to put in the work to get there
0: you're de- you're definitely dropping a lot of gems um one gem that i'm going to drop right now is that mentors are both direct and indirect and what i mean by that is right now you are an, a direct mentor to your mentees but pe- everybody's watching so you know you'll have people who you're mentoring without you even, you know, setting up a Zoom call with them, they see, you know, they see the type of things that you're posting, they see how you carry yourself online and your social presence. Are you, you know, they see, you know, maybe you have a a GitHub page that you're managing and you're sharing your your thought process. And by doing these type of things, they're able to learn from you. So a lot of times people think that, you know, maybe I have to set aside, you know, maybe, you know, an hour or two with my mentor every day, but mentors come in a very, like I said before, many different shapes and sizes. Some are direct for those people who want that hands-on time to really, you know, get into the field. But sometimes people might be scrolling, following you on uh, social media and they say, wow, Jaquil's always posting about the Corona uh, virus updates and numbers and, you know, tying things together, you know, and they're able to pick up from that. So I think, um, definitely data professionals, especially when you're a black data professional, I think that um, it's important to know that people are always watching us. They're watching what we post, what we what we reshare and the type of conversations that we hold online. Um, so I definitely um, I think that's an important thing to state. You did a pres- presentation last year about survival tips. And I think that it's I'm sure, you know, maybe you t- took some away from that list and added some and made some tweaks. What are three tips that you would give to anyone that wants to sort of like survive in tech?
1: Yeah, I mean, so it's funny that you mentioned that presentation because a lot of the mentees came from <laughs> uh, from that presentation for Black and Data Week. And I mean, it was it was awesome to hear all the feedback. Um I would actually try to rearrange some of those tips that I gave. You know, like I said, just a, a, a few months. You know, a, about a year ago. Um, and the first one uh, that I would give to anyone is is again working in a collaborative team, trying to meet someone who I can kind of leverage their skill set. So I've been doing a lot of that this year uh, because for my particular team, like we're moving now. Uh, we want to do a little bit more advanced analytics work and more machine learning and artificial intelligence work and things on that on that spectrum. So I know my knowledge is you know I have a decent amount of knowledge there, but we have some folks on the team that just are experts, and so I'm leveraging them any way I can, you know. And if they have any questions on the analytics base where I'm stronger, I'm able to kind of give them the support there. Uh, so. That would be the number one thing I would say. Um, number two, I would say, again, continue to work on your skills and continue to train. Um, so it's OK. Like I said, if you're doing if Kaggle is your thing, get in there. You know, when you have some free time at home, work on a Kaggle project. I have a lot of mentees that are doing. them. Um, we have to go beyond the Titanic data set. But that's another conversation. <laughs> but um, but get in there and work on that. Um, you know, if you if Kaggle is your place, um, I know we talked about Data Quest. Uh, data edX you know I know um, we have some people that are in- involved with that as well you know use these different sources to kind of build up your skill set um, and then the third one is again um, we talked about it during the meeting as well is just avoiding that burnout um, a lot of people will try to pile stuff on you and just throw projects at your feet uh, because you are the new data professional or you are young into your role um, it's okay to have that conversation you may want to seek out more experienced individuals on how to have that conversation, but be realistic in the expectations of the work that you're going to be doing, because people will try to exploit you. So let's try to avoid that.
0: I really like that third point that you made, um, because I, I, I've, I'm I coming up on my one year mark, but when you have gave that presentation, I was, you know, I was a new hire at my current role. Um, one thing that is the politics that go on behind the scenes? So there's there's someone in a cross-functional role that will uh, make a lot of data requests. Before I came, everyone would just you know delete her emails or whatever the case is, um, because, just because they don't have the bandwidth to support every you know every single thing that comes across. And right. so what I realized was as the new person. I was getting a lot of those requests. And at first, you know, I'm trying to make sure, you know, I don't step on any toes. So you do one project and then two projects. And then you start to think, wait, am I just doing all of this person's projects? And so (laughs) being able to learn how to say no respectfully, like it's like there's a whole corporate lingo, like bandwidth and, you know, the the resources instead of just saying, nah, I don't got time.
1: (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah bandwidth uh resource what was the other thing time constraints mm-hmm. uh, i love to use like hey you know based on the time constraints that we have um you know of course workload uh, there's another one too man i i can't think of it at this time but yeah just using that technical lingo to be able to you know convey the fact of you know i would love to do it but you know i just don't have the availability to do that and, that, and that's perfectly fine um uh, you know, or understanding what what's valuable and what's not. I think that would be a fourth tip <laughs> I would give someone is, how do you prioritize items? Uh, because that's going to come into focus as well.
0: Great, great point. I want to ask you, these, these questions, you know, they're coming off the dome. But I think they're very good questions for the audience. Um, myths versus reality in tech. What are some myths that you came across before you, you were in uh, in the field? And then when you actually stepped in, you're like, well, that wasn't true. That was wrong.
1: <laughs> yeah, man. Uh, it's so funny that you bring that up because I, before I even started thinking about what I was going to say in this podcast, I was like, man, I could really go in my bag about the, about the <laughs> industry myths, but um, but I don't want to take up the entire show with it. But number one myth that I think it almost aggravates me to a certain point is this idea that you have to be an expert coder to be great at your job. Um, And that leads to a lot of different problems that we have in technology where certain individuals feel that they're empowered to gatekeep or prevent someone from (laughs) entering the field. Um, At the end of the day, You know, now that I've been able to be in this role for some time and also being on the other end where I was able to help hire an individual, I've come to the understanding that while we want you to have some type of technical expertise, I believe that a great data scientist or data professional is someone who has a balance between both the business sense and the technical sense, right? So I want you to have some sort of coding skills or, you know, at least something that I can help you, you know, get better at. But I don't you know, necessarily need you to be this ultimate expert because what's happening is I feel like the industry is getting flooded with a lot of great technical talent, but not enough business talent. Um, so we have a lot of individuals who can code you under the sun. I mean, they know everything in Python. They know R, <laughs> every package there is. You know, they're doing stuff in scikit-learn. They're doing incredible things. But when it comes to the innovation or the, the ability to think outside of the box or understanding what's a value add, what's not, what's a leading and lagging indicator, that's where we lose a lot. Um, And so that's the number one myth, I would say. Um, Number two, um, this idea that the level of education that I have is going to indicate how good I'll be at my job. So it's kinda back on a little bit on that coding space, but more so this idea that you have to have a PhD to work in data, Um, definitely a myth. Um, now, if you're going more so into like the research space or like the deep learning data scientists or something along that space, yeah, well, you would want additional education because there's different facets of that particular work that you're going to be doing that you won't learn in a, particular, in a basic bachelor's program or you may not learn in your master's program. Right. Um, but you could still be a really good data scientist without that. You know, I, I think some of the best minds I've met have all had master's. <laughs> So, I mean, there are some, you know, some incredible folks who have PhDs, but I don't want you to think that's a barrier to you getting into data or into technology. So those two, I think, would be the big ones. Uh, did you ask for truth as well or just the myths?
0: <laughs> yeah, I asked for tr- truth as well, uh, just um, to balance it out.
1: Yeah, yeah. No. So, so I'll give you two truths then. Uh, number one, this job is not easy. Um, so that I will admit, um, this job is not easy, but you can, you know, once you kind of get a hang of things, you'll start to learn your place, um, and what items you can and cannot do. Um, and then the job will kind of mold itself around you. So, um, I would say that's the number one truth that, yeah, it is a little bit difficult, but it's all worth it in the end. And two, um, you can kind of move within career paths pretty much anywhere you want to once you get involved with technology. So, like I'm telling a lot of my, you know, data science mentees, you know, once they get their first data job, okay, where do we want to go next? You know, are you going to continue to move in data science? Do you want to move in management? Or do you want to go be a product manager? Maybe that's your space. They can do that. Um, Maybe they want to go be a data engineer and learn more about the cloud. You have the capability of doing that. Um, So, that flexibility is one of the things that tech careers have over other potential jobs where you kind of or giving a set career path. Um, there's nothing like that flexibility you get in technology.
0: I, I agree with a lot, a lot of the truths and, uh, and, uh, the, the myths that you presented. I definitely think that when I was, you know, trying to break into the field, I came across a lot of those, like thinking that like, there was one point where I was like, it, something like clicked to me, you know, in my head, I was like, wait, I don't have to learn every single package or library to say, I know Python. I just need to (laughs) know the ones that are specific to what I'm trying to do. And nine times out of 10, it's going to be pandas, numpy, and, you know, matplotlib. You don't need to know every single thing to be able to put on your resume that you know that language. You just need to be familiar with it. And then if, if there's something that comes up that, you know, that your team needs, and if there's not an expert on there. On that, on your team, you you know you can take the time out to learn, but you don't. I, I would say, you know, folks should not spend their entire time trying to learn every because it changes. As soon as you learn it all, somebody's going to develop a new one, and then now you got to learn that one. And um,
1: yeah, yeah, and I think I think when people, I mean, just to piggyback off that, I think one thing that a lot of folks have to understand is organizations understand that, right? So they're going to provide a lot of training material or opportunities for you to learn that um, while you may have some downtime or some space to kind of, you know, bring that in. So um, it's constant, you're constantly learning on these jobs. You know, you can't think you're going to come in and know everything. Um, so maybe that's another myth, <laughs> but, um, you know, you, 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 don't have to come in and think, you know, I have to know everything to be really good at this job. Um you know, most organizations are going to because even if, you know, Pandas, I mean, the way Verizon may use it is going to be totally different than how Microsoft may use it. Mm-hmm. And so, you you know, they're kind of kind of mold you to what type of data scientists they want you to be.
0: Yeah, I agree. One thing I had told someone the other day is I was like, if you graduate and you know everything, what's the whole point of even working? Like, what what are you going to pick up throughout your career? You're going to be bored your first year and just be like, you know, contemplate like contemplating life and thing because you know I feel like it's a it's there's levels to it and you start off at level one or in the tech world level zero and then you work your way up you know that, that's what makes it fun I would I would say as long as an individual has the uncanny ability to learn and that 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 thirst for knowledge they want to know how things work they want to know the whys behind it okay and that's where the business knowledge that you mentioned come in. You know, you're writing this code. Why are you doing that code? You know, how is it being used? Um, and a lot of times, um, that's where that's where I'm trying to ramp up. Because yeah, I can pick up a tool really quick. You know, but why am I doing the things that I'm doing? And so, I feel like uh, once I, you know, able and and that's the thing is, that's not like a it's not like a checkbox that you check off because you're always going to be learning business knowledge. Business knowledge is always going to be on on box. And I was going to go in like the digital marketing direction. And then I had watched a video about the day in the life of a data scientist on uh, YouTube. And I was like, yo, this guy's like days looks pretty chill. Like he's not stressing about anything. And so from that video, I was like, maybe I can do this. And so w- the question that I have for you is what does a typical, because I know no day no days are the same, but what does, a, would you say an average day in your life as a data scientist at Verizon looks like?
1: Uh, <laughs> uh, Well, it's definitely changed since COVID-19. So, I mean, typically I would go into the office and then I would either have audits that I'm already working on. So I know what type of testing and what analytics I need to run uh, prior to going into that day. So um you know, I, the way I work is I like to try to get everything I can done in the morning and then reserve some of the afternoon time for any, any layover items that still need to be done. And then a lot of meetings, you know. So you're gonna get a ton of meetings where you're involved in understanding what's the scope of the project, um, what other testing may need to be done. Is there another project that's on the way? Um, so, you know, you're gonna kind of get that varying throughout the day. Um, since I've been working remote, it's been even more meetings, I would say. <laughs> um, so what we've had to do is we've actually made our Wednesday the day, the hands off day. And so I take that day to try to, you know, any testing that I have, I try to get a bunch of it done that day. And then I'll distribute it out through the rest of the week. Um, so that morning time, uh, you know, I may wake up, you know, I try to get online by 8, 830. Uh, I guess I'll go and give you the hourly breakdown, 830 to 10. You know, I'm trying to go ahead and get any like if it's a quick test, like a low hanging fruit item, I'm going to go ahead and get out early in the morning. And then, you know, 10 o'clock is normally when the meetings start up. Um, you know, if I get any gap between 12 to about 5 p.m. is when I end my day. That's where I throw in some of the more complex testing uh, to do, whether it's, you know, putting something in a Tableau for a visualization for the audit teams or doing some automation and all tricks. That's where I'm doing a lot of that work.
0: You, you only stopped at 10 o'clock. Does your day end before lunch? <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, no, I said 12 through 5 is where I'm getting in the getting more complex items. Between the 10 to 12, I guess I'm doing, that's meeting time. Normally, I get a lot of meetings at 10 or 11. Uh, and then, like I said, about 12 through 5 p.m. is where I get, you know, I may get a gap in time to do a lot of testing, but most of that is going to be meeting time as well.
0: Gotcha. I think that we touched on, um, we touched on it here and there, but just to be intentional, I'm going to go out, go ahead and ask this question. Why is it important to have people of color in tech positions?
1: Uh, (laughs) I wish I had more time, man, but, uh, the number one thing I think is, um, When we have more people that we can see, one, it's representative, right? So if an individual is interested in this industry or, you know, a Black person, I'm going to stick there. If a Black person is interested in this industry and wants to potentially, you know, move up the ranks, it's always best to have someone already there that they can look up to. And again, like I said, they can then serve into that mentorship position. But number two is um, they can control those individuals that get into leadership and I've I've been able to see this at Verizon, they do a pretty good job of this. Those individuals can control the narrative of how human resources tends to act towards certain individuals. Um, Particularly, like I said, for black folks, they can kind of help control how many black folks are being moved into their organization. Um, And they also can um, point out any biases that they see within the organization. Right. And that, Uh, a conversation that comes from a person in leadership tends to hold more weight than it does from a, just an an IC, right? And an individual contributor for those who may not know what I mean by IC. Um, So having that leadership, you know, weight behind your name uh, just kind of carries a little bit further in the organization and gets to the right, to the right spaces, right? Um, If I'm trying to speak to the CIO, if I'm a director of data analytics, He's probably going to listen to me. Um, if I'm speaking to the CIO directly from an IC position, he should listen to me. But I can't guarantee you that's always going to happen. And so being able to leverage your weight there is just more important. And that's why I like to see. It's one of the questions I ask when I interview, um, you know, what's the work culture like and how many African-Americans or, you know, black people do you have in positions of power? You know, what, what, tell me. <laughs> it's a fair question.
0: Yeah, it's, it's definitely a fair question and depending on how it's answered, sort of like gives insights into the sort of company um, that you would be potentially working for before you even make that big decision or get that offer. Um, I agree with a lot of the points that you make. It's very important to have, um, you know, folks in the, in, in these fields, um, not only, you know, for representation and to sort of like ease the the, the friction on the bottleneck, but when we think of taking care of and changing the narrative, tech is doing a lot of that because it moves so fast. It pays so well. You're able to start, you know, you're able to start creating generational wealth straight out of school. You know, you have people, you know, over on the, in the, on the West coast, hundred thousand K a year with no experience and where, which other field you know, is paying out those type of dividends upfront. Like it's just wild.
1: Yeah. I mean, absolutely. And I, and I tell people that all the time, you know, when I go, um, and I talk to other individuals that, you know, aren't in tech or they just want to know, um, I say, you know, this job has provided me with life changing money. Um, if you were to ask me five or six years ago when I was, you know, low hanging fruit at Geico, you know, would I be able to do the things that I've done now? And I would tell you absolutely not. Um, I would have never envisioned it. Um, and so getting into these roles, I mean, it, it, ju- it didn't just change my life. You know, my family's entirely different. Like, you know, I can now sit here and say, you know, if my mom comes to me and says, Hey, you know, Jaquille, I need this, you know, it's no problem. You know, that would have been a, a big stressor for me, uh, had I remained where I was at, and you know, working at Geico. So, um, that's why that's why I do what I do, man. I want I want more of us to kind of get that feeling and understand like that sigh of relief. Like, OK, now I have a comfortable amount of income and you know bonus compensation, total compensation to where I can you know, free myself up. You know, if I need to help out, I can help out. but I don't have to. You know, it's totally up to them in their life situation. But um, but it provides you that flexibility to do those things.
0: Definitely. And that's the theme word that we've been saying a lot throughout this uh, show is that flexibility, Um, whether it's learning a new skill, whether it's progressing through your career or, you know, being able to take, take care of your family. Uh, Jaquil, you've been great. You've definitely dropped a lot of gems. You're doing a lot of good stuff on and off the court, like I mentioned. And I want to just take the time out to give you your flowers and let you know that, you know, we appreciate what you've been doing in the community.
1: Anybody else want to come in and join? I mean, feel free to, to reach out to me on any of the uh, other sources like LinkedIn, Twitter. I mean, you guys kind of know where to find me. So uh, if they don't, then, uh, you know, I think like, Twitter, the underscore Jack Attack. LinkedIn is just Jakeel L. Henry. So uh, find me. Send me a message. <laughs>